The world's busy enough, and it's just getting busier because we all have people we want to take care of, like aging parents and other friends and relatives. Let Instacart save you time while making it easier to stock up on everything you need from groceries and alcohol to home essentials. You can browse thousands of products from your favorite stores, plus you'll get access to exclusive Instacart-only coupons on hundreds of items. So go shopping for yourself, your mom, your uncle, your kids who are away at school. But before you do, go to youdontsay.net and click on the Instacart ad on the homepage and you'll get free delivery on your first order. You know, aren't there enough things that cost an arm and a leg when you're running a business? There's really no reason you should be spending five grand or more for a website unless it's doing some pretty whiz-bang stuff. With Squarespace, you don't have to, even with some whiz-bang. With plans starting as low as 12 bucks a month for a personal website, Squarespace has a library of professionally designed templates to start from with easy-to-use tools that let you customize your site to fit your brand. So get that site going today. Just go to youdontsay.net, look for the Squarespace logo on the homepage, click on it, and when you check out, put in the code PARTNER10, again, that's PARTNER, one zero, you'll save 10% off your first subscription on a website or a domain. And if you need help with your site, drop Left Brain Right Brain Marketing a call at lbrbm.com. Squarespace, it's the shortest, most cost-effective distance between here and success. This is Drew Zagorski. You're listening to You Don't Say. Thanks for that. And don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and follow wherever you listen to podcasts or at youdontsay.net and share with your family, friends, and everyone else you know. So here's the story. I'm pretty sure we've all been in this situation recently. Someone we've known for a long time starts to spout batshit crazy conspiracies and fake news stories as if they're gospel. I mean, they really truly believe this stuff. It's shocking and alarming. Because we've known said person for forever, and we know that they're smart and rational, and maybe they even hold college degrees. At least that's what we thought until whatever it was that got our attention came out of their mouth, or their social media stream. We're kind of dumbstruck by it. What the hell, we think? What are they talking about? And then we call them to meet up and ask about what they shared or said. And sure enough, they talk about that alternate reality as if it's fact and it's actually happening. I got to be honest, this is something that's happened a lot in my own life over the past three or four years, and it's pretty disturbing. And here's the thing. I'm pretty certain that the people who say this crazy shit walk away from that interaction believing the exact same thing about me, that I'm the batshit crazy one, because I can't see reality or the facts. Over the last several years in particular, crazy conspiracies have taken deep root in America and probably all over the world. Actually, I'm pretty confident that it's a global thing. Now, this is nothing new. Conspiracy theories have been around since the beginning of time, from the moment humans began communicating anyway. Then along comes Gutenberg, and they were able to spread faster and wider through the printed word. In the early days of journalism, there was no consideration given to fact-checking with three sources or anything close to it. Newspaper editors pretty much created stories and printed them, whatever suited their needs or ability to sell papers. As media outlets propagated, stories woven from whole cloth kooky spread more easily. So let me be clear here, I'm not putting the spread of these things on any one person, not even Gutenberg. The spread of fake news and conspiracy theories as fact is just part of human nature. People are naturally drawn to the horrific and fantastic, especially like those early newspaper editors, when it suits their perspective or needs. And in a digital age, this phenomenon is becoming hardened. 
and not just hardened, but turned into a science and a business model for news outlets and social media networks. Last year, Netflix released the documentary The Social Dilemma. It's a pretty jarring and disturbing film. It features several of the people who were involved in the development of Facebook, Twitter, and Google, among others, and they lay bare the strategy of how those networks developed algorithms aimed at manipulating and predicting our behaviors and then monetizing that. Give the movie a look if you haven't already. Then, last December, I caught an article published in Scientific American entitled, this is a long title, so bear with me, Information Overload Helps Fake News Spread and Social Media Knows It, with the subtitle of Understanding How Algorithm Manipulators Exploit Our Cognitive Vulnerabilities Empowers Us to Fight Back. The article was written by Filippo Menzer and Thomas Hiltz. I'll have a link to that and the Netflix movie in the episode notes. Anyway, Menzer and Hiltz are connected to a think tank at the University of Warwick in England and Indiana University's Observatory on Social Media, or AWESOME, as their acronym O-SO-ME sort of spells out. So AWESOME is how I'll refer to that research group in my commentary. These folks presented how these stories, conspiracies, and alternative facts, to use a phrase whose creation is widely attributed to the ex-president's advisor, Kellyanne Conway, begin and propagate. Though, now, as a side note and in fairness, if you look into it deeper, you'll find as many references to the origin of the term alternative facts being attributed to people of the right as to those of the left. It's a circle jerk, and you'll never really get out of it. Anyway... Let's use the term here without arguing where it came from. We all know what it refers to, fantasies and things that never happened or existed. Now, with that agreed to, the article presents the science and psychology behind how these things spread and evolve into a truth for those who choose to believe them. It's a very well done piece and makes it easy to understand, even for a lunkhead like me. So, as the lunkhead in chief, I'll attempt to distill what that article lays out. It all begins with information overload. Think about your own life and all the advertising out there. At the beginning of this podcast and halfway through, you'll get three ads. And here's a fact for you. It's generally accepted that in terms of numbers, the average person is exposed to anywhere from 3,500 to 5,000 ads a day. Yep, that's what I said. 3,500 to 5,000 ads a day. Now think about that. Of course, you're not stopping your car at every billboard to read it, but as you drive, you see them and they register in your subconscious. When you bring in the mail, there's that local business flyer that you toss into the recycle straight away, but like those billboards, your brain registers three to four ads on the outside cover of it. You turn on the news or your favorite show and there's all the commercials. Even if you record and fast forward through those commercials, your brain's picking up on it all. It's much faster than your eyes are. And that's just the obvious stuff. Then you go online and search for that new jacket. In the search results, you see all kinds of ads just in the search listings. Then, because you searched for the jacket, you suddenly start getting ads relating to that in your social streams. It's not accidental. So there's all that. Then you have 200-plus cable channels and 15 streaming services to scan through for content and stories that you want to read. And yeah, there's also almost 2 million podcasts serving up around 43 million episodes, according to podcasthosting.org. Then your phone or tablet or desktop screen. 
All of those things are pulling your eyes in one direction or another. That pop-up reminder, that text message ding, showing you've got a new message from your cousin Stan about recording another episode of his podcast, Eating with a Regular Guy, at E-W-A-R-G to the pod.com, as he says. Okay, see, that was a shameless plug and another ad, so you get the idea. So where do you focus your attention with all of that information coming at you? We live in an age where information consumes us. So how the hell do we begin to filter all of it and protect ourselves from fake news and conspiracies? And what content wins in our feeds and streams, meaning what shows up at the top? Well, the quality of content has really nothing much to do with it because there's so much filling up those channels into our brains. We gravitate to those items that relate to what most interests us or that come from the people we know or are most interested in, whether we love them or hate them. That politician you loathe or love, you see their name and you're likely to click on that item regardless of whether the item is based in fact or reality. Sure, sometimes you won't bother if you see it's coming from a source you either believe or know to be a conspiracy factory, but even that doesn't stop that click a lot of the time. This is called cognitive bias, and it actually makes the spread of fake news and alternative facts even wider. Our minds will adjust to our understanding of new information to fit within the framework of what we know or believe we know. So we naturally seek out information that confirms that belief, and it hardens our positions. The authors of the article made this statement. When people with divergent beliefs about emotionally charged issues such as climate change are shown the same information, they become even more committed to their original positions. Now, this is me again. It doesn't matter whether that information supports or rejects your stance. If it does, of course, you become hardened. But if the information is contrary to your beliefs, the same outcome happens. You're more likely to feel attacked and will dig in on what you already believe. Now throw on search engines and social media and the problem just escalates. That's because these channels dish information and content to us based on our previous preferences, and they prioritize that information with what we're most likely to agree with or click on regardless of the batshit crazy score of said content. All of this puts a target on our heads for polarization, red state, blue state, progressive, conservative, and so on and so on. Now, before I share this next bit, please, please, please don't assume I'm accusing either side or anyone of anything. The information I'm about to share is based on research by a guy named Nur Grinberg, a Ph.D. and researcher at Harvard's Institute for Qualitative Social Science and Northeastern University's Network Science Institute. So the guy's legit. Now, here are the findings from his research. Conservatives in the U.S. are more receptive to misinformation, though there's a vulnerability on both sides of the fence and it cannot be avoided. These studies showed that our ability to detect online manipulation is actually affected by our politics, but along the same lines. Republicans are more likely to mistake bots promoting conservative ideas as coming from humans while Democrats are more likely to mistake conservative humans for bots. Let me say that again. Republicans are more likely to mistake bots promoting conservative ideas as coming from humans, while Democrats are more likely to mistake conservative humans for bots. How about that for a conversation starter? So for those who don't know, what the hell are bots? They're automated accounts that impersonate humans, and they degrade the quality of information in social networks. And remember, these networks are all about clicks. 
Our article authors and researchers at Awesome found that just a few early clicks from stories being pushed by bots, or upvotes as they refer to them, can make fake news stories go viral. But more on bots later. So anyway, cognitive bias is the first ingredient for the potion that leads to buying into batshit crazy. The next is social hurting. Nope, not herd immunity, though one could argue that social hurting leads to immunity from facts. Anyway, social hurting. Think of nature films of schools of fish or flocks of birds. You know, how they really don't swim or fly in independent directions when they're together. They dart back and forth as if on cue. It's really pretty cool visually to watch. It's not so cool, though, when humans begin to think along these lines. That's when the shit gets dicey. That bird thing, there's a saying, birds of a feather flock together. Think about that flock of birds in the sky, and you get the idea. And within groups of humans, when this flocking or social herding happens, the group creates a pressure toward conformity that's so powerful that people within the group begin to let go of their own individual preferences. So one begins to lose, well, maybe that's the wrong term here, maybe not, anyway. When you lose your ability to really think independently, this is how it works in cults, literally. And worse still... When there are two groups, the differences they have can be amplified, causing an ever-widening divide between them and pushing them further to extremes. Well, the same follows in social media. The popularity of a story, an idea, or a meme gets confused with quality. The result is that following that popular post, we unconsciously end up mirroring the behavior or ideas that we observe. Those schools of fish, go left, dart right, go up, all together with nary a fish falling out of line. It's groupthink, an experiment by a guy named Bjark Monstad and his peers at the University of Denmark and USC concluded that information is shared via what they called complex contagion. So what's that mean? The study states that when we're repeatedly exposed to an idea, usually from multiple sources, we're more likely to adopt it. And here's the key. We reshare it. The bias that this contagion creates is amplified by what psychologists called mere exposure. That is, when we're exposed to the same thing over and over, we're more likely to like or grow an affinity for those things rather than that which we've encountered less often. We've grown accustomed to its face, whatever it is that we keep seeing. That bias then leads to an irresistible urge to focus on what's going viral. It's viral, so it's important, right? We'll be right back with our conversation right after this. There's two things I love about mornings. Getting up and smelling fresh brewed coffee and then the wagon tail of my best pal who's always there to greet me. He was a rescue dog and I can't imagine my world without him. So I'm all about helping dog rescues wherever and whenever I can. That's one of the reasons why I drink Hugo Coffee. Proceeds from all sales go to supporting dog rescue missions. The other reason is that they deliver an awesome cup of coffee. My favorites are the Rollover Breakfast Blend, New Trick Light, and Bonafido Dark Roast. And Hugo Coffee Beans are sourced from fair trade farms and roasted using sustainable techniques. So, turn your daily ritual into an act of kindness. You'll be saving pups with every cup. So drink coffee, save dogs. Go to youdontsay.net and click on the Hugo Coffee logo on the homepage and you'll get free shipping on your order of $35 or more. So then, social media networks place all of that popular, not necessarily accurate, or even fact-based content at the top of our feeds. And not just that, we get to see how many people have liked it or shared it. 
Get ready to shift direction, little bird or fish. We go with it and don't even realize we didn't give much, if any, independent thought or analysis to whatever it is we've just seen. Just click, share, and go. And then, popularity supplants quality. Further, the awesome group study showed that all of that content is being filtered down to a pretty narrow subset of popular sources. So here's the nightmarish part of this algorithmic bias. Even when we want to share good information, that algorithm is probably misleading us. Now, a sidebar on Twitter, which personally I think is the alley fight and dive bar of all social media. The awesome group study found that from a group of 15,000 users... Liberals and conservatives end up sharing information from sites that are repeat offenders of posting news of low credibility. So social hurting is the second ingredient of the diabolical concoction that takes us from smart to batshit crazy. The third ingredient is the echo chamber, as I tend to think of it, silos. Let's face it, we all tend to follow others who are like us. I've had some people who I've been lifelong friends with who seem to have ghosted me during the past four years as I express my displeasure, and that's really putting it mildly, with the ex-president. They'd rather I just spoke in the same terms and shared the same ideas as they did and held. Well, sorry, that's not going to happen for anyone. That's not how my ma raised me. Anywho, this is also called homophily, the tendency to connect with like-minded people. We're actually seeing this in demographics and communities across the country. People are now actually relocating to neighborhoods, towns, cities, and states that are aligned with their own current thinking, politics, religious, and social beliefs. Now, in my opinion, if that continues, it doesn't end well. And an irony here is that a lot of folks doing the moving also talk about the need for and the beauty of diversity. Social networks do a great job of amplifying this as well. Homophily, that is. Users can follow, unfriend, and become segregated into larger, denser, and increasingly misinformed groups, or echo chambers slash silos. And echo chambers on the hate fest of social networks, Twitter, are so over the top that users' political leanings can be predicted with just about scientific precision because you pretty much have the same opinions as those of the people you're connected to. Whether you want to believe it or not, that's true. The result is that the efficiency of the spread of information or misinformation within an echo chamber is fast, very fast, and further insulates the group that's sharing the information from the outside. And any type of fact check information, it just doesn't get into the circle. So guess what? This then puts gasoline in a match on negativity. Think about that party game where one person whispers something into the ear of the other. They, in turn, whisper the thing to the next person and so on and so on and so on. By the end of the chain, there's often no resemblance to what the last person in the chain says they heard from what the original message was. Our researchers call this phenomenon the social diffusion chain. The highlighting of negative aspects of the story are amplified as the information is passed along, and the information is most susceptible to distortion by people with the most extreme biases. If that's not bad enough, of course, negative information is just stickier. So when the full facts are shared with that poor guy at the end of the chain, it really does little to chip any of the negativity away. So the information gets both more negative as it goes downstream, but also becomes more resistant to updating our actual facts. Hardened, if you will. A couple other awesome researchers, Emilio Ferrara and Zhao Yang, analyze this type of emotional contagion on Twitter. As you'd expect, people most exposed to negative content shared negative content, and people exposed to positive, well, they shared the positive stuff. 
But negative content tends to become more negative and spreads more easily so people who want to manipulate emotions with negative content can more easily create fear and anxiety. Violent or inflammatory narratives can run wild. So yeah, echo chambers and silos suck and are horribly manipulative. The next ingredient are those bots I mentioned earlier. So to go back there, what bots do is auto-generate messages, push ideas, and can even act as followers in fake accounts, gaining their own followers. The odds are we've all followed at least one bot at some point or another. In fact, anywhere from 9 to 15% of all Twitter accounts are bots. From about 330 million accounts, that's around 30 to 50 million bot Twitter accounts. Now, these bots, as I mentioned, push and propagate ideas, content, memes, and other crap. So they shape public opinion because of the number of followers they have and the real people they follow, which juices the likes and retweets, which in turn pushes fake posts to the top of the heap, landing them at the top of our feeds. And right now, we, the innocent, have no Kevlar to protect ourselves from them. There's no real regulation on their activity, so it's like we're all trying to walk through a contained space and there's a constant crossfire coming from all four walls. There's just no way we get out alive. But these awesome researchers are working on it. They've created a tool they call the Botometer, which looks at 1,200 aspects of a Twitter account. Bet you didn't know there were that many, but it shows you just how deeply the Bond villains at Twitter are looking at us. Anyway, this tool is going to help the awesome researchers flag these bot accounts. And here's a scary thought. They're just doing this on Twitter. None of those other networks who are getting to the point where they can correctly predict our bowel movements are being looked at. So, okay, back to the sinister activity of these bots. They push misinformation, as George Patton would say, like grease through a goose. Within seconds of being posted, misleading information and fake news gets tweeted to a slew of bots. Then, in turn, actual humans who are seduced by the information see it and retweet it. No real consideration for the facts. Bots also tap into our heads by representing themselves as people from our circles or in-groups. They simply follow, like, and retweet something from you or someone in your group, and it's infiltrated into your headspace. In this way, that bot can, as our awesome researchers put it, effectively suppress the entire ecosystem's information quality by infiltrating only a small fraction of the network. They also speed along the creating of silos or echo chambers by foisting fake accounts that are followed, which is called a follow train. Bots also serve their master's needs by diverting our attention from reality and facts or more serious issues. And sometimes the organizations who send out their bots into the world also play both sides. They release bots on both sides of a political or social divide, which drives further polarization and, oh yeah, monetization by ads. Here's an example from our last election cycle. Some bots represented themselves as pro-Trump supporters and others as resistors. All of them asked for political donations, so the bad actors made money by amplifying content that preyed on confirmation biases and accelerated the polarized echo chambers. That, and I don't think I'm going to ask for forgiveness on my French here, but that's just fucked up. So, okay, now you know the formula for making an otherwise sane, rational, seemingly intelligent person buy into batshit crazy fake news, conspiracy theories, and other misinformation. So, is there anything we can do about it? Well, the first step is understanding how it happens, which is why I wanted to share this with you. 
Understanding how biases, social hurting, algorithm, and bots manipulate us will hopefully help us keep up our dukes when we see a story or meme or whatever that makes our blood boil. Don't just buy into it. Now, this is a tricky situation. In the United States, freedom of speech comes into play. It's a core right for all of us. But at what point is it that even though a person or bot isn't shouting fire in a crowded theater, at what point does it become the same thing? Okay, so maybe dishing you a fake news story about pedophilia or golden showers in a Russian hotel room doesn't lead to anyone dying. But sooner or later it could. And what about the lives of the people who are the subjects of these fake stories or memes? Isn't there collateral damage to not just their lives or careers, but to their families, their wives, their kids, their parents, and so on? It's all fun and games until that thing is pointed at you with total fantasies. But half the country believes those fantasies as reality. So, with regards to free speech, is curbing these bots or the people who share their posts a suppression of it? Here's how our awesome researchers summed up this thorny issue. Free communication is not free. By decreasing the cost of information, we've decreased its value and invited its adulteration. To restore the health of our information ecosystem, we must understand the vulnerabilities of our overwhelmed minds and how the economics of information can be leveraged to protect us from being misled. And here's how I sum it up. We're all susceptible to being sucked into a juicy story. When we see things about the opposition or people we don't care for that cast them in not just unflattering lights, but maybe even criminal ones, we all want those stories to be true. Admit it. We just do. None of us are guilt-free on that front. That's called being human. Likewise, when we see a positive story about the other side, we want that one to be false. It's all too easy to call it fake news because, I mean, really, those people couldn't have done anything as humanitarian as that, right? My take is to keep your guard up. If you see a story that gets you trembling and ready to scream, step back, breathe, maybe for a day or more. Then go back and do your homework, fact check it, and not just with those sources you've grown accustomed to in your echo chamber. If you're conservative, go see what the New York Times or MSNBC or CNN are reporting. Or if you're a liberal, look at Fox News, The Wall Street Journal, or The New York Post. Two of the most unbiased news sources out there are Reuters and the Associated Press, or AP. If they're not reporting something, that thing either has no merits or bases in fact, or it hasn't yet reached the point where it can really truly be verified. So add these to your fact check list. I put the links to both in the episode notes. So put your bias aside, get over it, and at the very least, you'll see how the other side is viewing whatever it is. And it's a good thing to have that information if you have a friend or family member who holds an opposing view to be able to talk with them about the information that they're getting. The bottom line is this. Don't just trust your silo or echo chamber or the social herd you belong to. Do the work. Put in the effort to kill batshit crazy in your life and in our world, and we'll all be better for it. I'm Drew Zagorski. This is You Don't Say. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you have a story to tell, shoot me an email to info at youdontsay.net. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at YDS Stories. Thanks again, and see you on the next episode.